Podcast episode comes too soon. We swear it's never happened before, but we're assured it's totally normal and won't affect the enjoyment. This is the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. My name is Elliot Smith, and you can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. That's right. We've come too soon. Um, you know, sometimes you just get really excited, and you have to put out that podcast, and you just can't make it till the right time. So, uh, yeah, we're recording before the Ostersoons game because, frankly... Did anybody even know what was happening? Mm, maybe not. So here's what we're going to do instead. We're going to talk about it briefly, just <clears throat> so we can acknowledge its existence. We will talk about the cup final coming up this weekend. We will talk about uh, Hector Bellerin slandering the Arsenal fan TV people and uh, how shocked and appalled we are by that. And then do a little bit of sort of season summary stuff that should be fun. I think you'll like it. We're going to give out some awards, awards uh, that you know hopefully the players will have presented to them in person now that we know how keen they are to keep up with uh, fan-created content. In any event, Tim is here. You can find him on Twitter at Stilberto. Hello, Tim. Hello there. Uh, Clive's here. He's on Twitter at ClivePAFC. Hi. Hello. Hello, hello. Yeah, hi. Good. Great. Um, I have been told that I talk very fast on this podcast. Now, I, I want to make one thing clear. I listen to podcasts at 1.5 speed. Highly recommend it. I think it's made me feel that normal talking speed is too slow. So... What can I say? It is what it is. That's where we're at. So let's start with the Ostersoons game, which will be probably kicking off maybe right around the time people are listening to this or will have already happened uh, by the time people listen to this. So we don't have to spend a lot of time on it. Tim, I imagine you'll be there. What's your sense of going to this game? I mean, do you almost feel like this is a preseason friendly in terms of mm. what you expect to see in intensity, lineup and, and things like that? Yeah, a little bit, but I, I think pretty much all of the Europa League games have been like that, to be honest. I, I think this competition, I've said this before, has been up to this point a, a massive disappointment um, in terms of entertainment and excitement. Um, hopefully, you know, assuming that we get through um, this, it, 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 you know, it might pick up a little bit um, from the kind of last 16 onwards, and I, I do kind of expect it to. And to be honest, over the years, uh, when I've watched the Europa League kind of casually from the last day onwards, it, it tends to be quite an exciting competition because there are any number of teams that can win it. Um, and a lot of it as well kind of um, depends on how teams are doing in their domestic leagues. Like the Champions League the Champions League. Everyone goes for that, you know, particularly in the knockouts. Nobody sacks that off. But with the Europa League, there's this kind of interesting dynamic where um, sometimes uh, how how much teams go for it is governed by their kind of their circumstances in the league so if they're you know in a title race or something uh, you know a bit like we saw with Napoli last week Napoli basically played their reserves at Leipzig not interested in this at all they're in the Serie A race they've only got eyes for that so they're going to kick themselves out it's a little bit a little bit like the FA Cup in the third and fourth round yeah 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 um and a a lot of kind of South American content continental competitions go like this you get these interesting dynamics where if teams are out of the league title race they really throw all their resources into a cup or vice versa if they're winning the league they will pick the reserves in the cup and so you get these interesting dynamics but um yeah i mean i so i for a start off yeah it it does feel like it's going to be a, a bit of a dead game but also, I, I really feel like quite strongly like there shouldn't be a game in the build-up 
to a cup final, you know, during the week in the build up to a cup final, this game kind of feels like it's in the way. I always feel like a cup final should have like a clean, at least one week build up um, towards it to kind of help build that excitement and, and, and tension. And I, I keep thinking about Sunday and then going, Oh yeah, but there's this on Thursday. It feels kind of like, um, kind of like a diversion when you're on a, you know, listeners in London will be very familiar with this when you're on a bus or something or when you get on a train and there's a, a kind of a rail replacement bus and you think, oh yeah, I've got to get on that and it's going to make the journey. That's kind of what this game feels like. It feels like a rail hmm. replacement bus in the build up to, you know, another trip to Wembley, another cup final. And, and really what could, um, you know, be our high point of the season on Sunday um, if we win it, you know, that that we could be looking at that as the best day of our season. And and yeah, this Austin's game kind of just feels like it's in the way, to be honest. Yeah. I do just quickly, do you, do you expect that this could be among the lowest attendances you've seen at the Emirates? We've had a few, but yeah. this could be right up there. Yeah. Yeah, this this really could rival the um the Borisov home game. I'm not sure it'll be quite that low, but yeah, I, I think less than half full. Yeah. Um, Clive, so then I guess the question is how to approach this. We are 3-0 to the good with three away goals. They would have to score four to win it outright without extra time. They're not doing that. I mean, they weren't good enough at home to to really challenge us, and we could debate that, but not needed. So other than Mkhitaryan, who uh, the manager has said will play, and I think I support that because ultimately he's a guy who can't play in the cup final and probably needs minutes to just kind of get back to his full sharpness. Would you play any first-team players? Uh, not many. Um, I, I can't think of any I, I want to see out there. I think um, it's just I, all I'm thinking about is which young players are going to play. Will you want to throw a lineup honest. out there for me? I mean, g- give me your hypothetical. Okay, just off my top of my head, right? So I would go Ospina. I would go. I would actually go Maitland Niles at right back. I would go Holding Chambers. I would go Kolasinac. I would then go um, El Nenny. I'll go um, Willock, and then I would go. I, I probably would play Jack for a bit. Really? I just feel. Mm. Yeah, I just feel he was ill. He hasn't played any minutes. The only game versus Spurs when he didn't really do fantastically well was fighting. That's the first time I've seen him look a little bit jaded and I wonder if it was illness he didn't play the next game so I would I would try to get some minutes into Jack I think when he's mobile he he feels better and he looks better I think so I would definitely try to get some minutes into him I would go Mkhitaryan I would go Welbeck Nelson and Kedia oh Welbeck really okay yeah I'll go Welbeck again I want to see him get more minutes and I would go um, Nelson as the other star so you wouldn't start in Kedia then no, not this time. Okay. But I, I would just, you know, I would just share the game with Welbeck, right? Welbeck for one hour and catch her for the last 30 minutes. Yeah. No I, is Welbeck fit and healthy and all that stuff? Yeah. I, I never know. Okay. So, yeah. I mean, maybe it does make sense. I guess the argument you could make is with Lacazette out, 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 and Giroud, um, I don't think he's fit, so I don't think he can play. And Walcott, I don't think he's fit, so I don't think he can play either. Um, and Alexis hasn't been fit for a while. So, given that situation, um, don't you kind of have to maybe just protect Welbeck given that outside of Aubameyang, he is literally like the other only other senior forward we have at the club heading into a cup final at the weekend? And given Welbeck's likelihood to 
pull this or that or pop this or strain that? Yeah, I think we just gotta we gotta play him into form a little bit. I think I think fair enough. Yeah. We gotta we gotta give him a chance. Away game on the plastic pitch may not. He took a bit of stick for that last game, although I wasn't too worried about it. We got the result, and he was finding his feet. Another hour would be great, even if he's fifty-five minutes. That'll be fine. Yeah, and, um, and then and then share the game, right? So, um, so yeah, I hope he does that. And the more minutes Welbeck gets, the better we, the more likely to get up to speed and start moving and start to look more sort of vivacious and start to charge around. And that's a player that we we can all accept. We can accept that maybe when he's playing like that, when he's really energetic and really proactive, we sort of forgive the fact that he can't find the net, you know, or or, or we don't know when he's going to find the net. So he'll, he'll miss the easy chance and scuff the difficult one. So, but at the moment, he's not he's not even working hard that much. He's not looking harder working than anybody else. So we want to get his legs back. And uh, so I would play him for an hour at least. On a, Fair enough. I, I sometimes mm-hmm. wonder with these games that have nothing riding on them that when you play first team players, they actually kind of half-ass it. And that's when you can pull muscles and strain things. And you, you know what I mean? And look, I am not a professional athlete yeah. anymore. Those days are behind me. Um, ever since I retired. Yeah, but but I mean, I know that when I'm, you know, exercising, working out, playing a sport, and I'm not really fully focused on it, sometimes that's when I plant weird or twist something or something gives way. Now, to be fair, that could also just be the effects of being Methuselah. But like, you know, I, I, that would be my only worry is that you want players who are really going to be fully engaged in this match because they'll get more out of it than a player who maybe thinks they're above it, if that makes any sense. It makes a lot of sense, but what I would counter that with is when you're at home and there's an expectant home crowd, you 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 sort of have to focus. I think it's sometimes harder away from home when it's uh, there's only a couple of thousand of your own fans and it's a very poor opposition. You can sort of you can sort of sneak through a game, but at home you can't do that. You've got a responsibility to lift the crowd. Or lift the red seats that are going to be staring at you come the night. Yeah, you you need to lift those seats. I mean, if ever there was a time that the seats needed to be lifted, it would be, it would definitely be uh, this game. Uh, zero to ten, Clive. Where zero is like the the Emirates Cup or whatever we call that thing, and and ten is Bayern Munich in the round of sixteen, the Champions League. How worried are you that we might screw this up tomorrow? Hey mate, uh, I, I'm about a, a four. Real what? <laughs> I'm a zero, yeah. and you know me, and I'm a zero. There's no I'm, possible I'm, I'm chance. A four. Wow! But I, I'm, I'm an Arsenal fan. You have to see the first five minutes. <laughs> could, could they, could they go two nil up? They could. I, I mean, they they absolutely could because we're Arsenal. But like, there's no. no chance. I'm just a four. But after five four. minutes, I'll go down. Okay, Tim. Yeah. Tim, how about you? Zero to ten. Uh, one. Okay, Um, good enough. That's the Ostersoons match. We hope you enjoyed the preview. Okay, Uh, Tim, there's a cup final on Sunday. Mm. When we play it, for players like Aubameyang, for example, it will have been his first game in 15 days. It comes in this weird period that we have not played our first team together Mm. since the Spurs game. I mean... Is there any, you know, look, I, I think rest can be fantastic. Maybe not yeah, as fantastic yeah, yeah. when you're integrating new pieces. How concerned are you, or do you think it's a benefit? I guess it could be either or the other, about this mm. weird gap that has formed between the last time the first team all played together and this cup final? Yeah, I am a little bit, actually. I don't think it's quite ideal. I think, um, I think again, maybe if we didn't have this second leg in the way, um, 
it would it would I don't know it feel like you know nine days nine days what ten days rest without another game in the way and you just think well we haven't had another game so we just train and whatnot but well it's 15 days isn't it way, i mean did we didn't really play a full first team at, well i guess we did play a lot of no. first team at Ostersons. but yeah yeah and and those those players that didn't play in Ostersons, the likes of Xhaka, um i you know i i think clive's right about wilshire i wonder if he'll get kind of half an hour um tomorrow or maybe even an hour um, I, I suppose that would depend on what Ramsey's fitness is like. But then Ramsey won't have played for three weeks, even if we do get him to start. And, you know, Ramsey, like Wilshire, is a player who really relies on rhythm. Yeah, Paul makes that um, point a lot. When he's playing a lot, that's when yeah, you get the best out of him. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. So I am a little bit concerned about that. Yeah, to be quite honest. I, I think particularly, you know, for the first 10 minutes of a game, what we really, really don't want on Sunday is to be cold for that first 10 minutes because, you know, City will either just just tear us apart and score or um, they'll just establish a pattern of the game very, very quickly. Um, so it's really important that we're, you know, we're switched on from the first minute. I mean, go back and watch the uh, FA Cup final from last year again. Um, from the absolute first minute, Arsenal were absolutely on it. I mean, I think we scored in the fourth or fifth, but even before that, you know, we we were we perhaps I'm not saying we're expected to score in the first five minutes, but we imposed ourselves straight away on the game. And I think even if we can't do that, what's really important is that we don't let Manchester City do that. So yeah, I, I am a little bit concerned about that. Particularly I, I think, you know, give it 10, 15 minutes and, and everyone will get into it. But um, you know, in 10, 15 minutes, a game can get away from you. And so I am a little bit concerned about that. And I do wonder if he'll drop um, a couple of guys in, you know, maybe from the bench or so, just to give them 15, 20 minutes to keep them warm. But then I think Wenger, he said he's not really a fan of that. I think, I can't remember when he said it. I think it was a few years ago. He said something about, you know, bringing a guy on for 20 minutes you know, in terms of um, what our data shows us, that that doesn't actually do an awful lot for a player. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, like I think he was making the point that 15, 20, even bringing a player off 15 minutes early, generally speaking, doesn't do an awful lot for them. It's, you know, that, that gap's not that significant. So, um, I mean, ultimately, he's just going to make a, have to make a judgment on what he's seeing in training. But I wouldn't be surprised if someone like Jack Wilshere got 20 minutes um tomorrow night just to kind of keep him warm um jacker i you know i, I tend to think he's played pretty much all season he'll be well the, the advantage okay, for Xhaka sure. is he doesn't actually have to move during a football match so you know you don't <laughs> well, need indeed. to keep him warm because wherever he plants his feet he just sort of stays there that that's his spot. and i and one kind of, as much as I wouldn't start a spinner um, on Sunday, I think a good thing is that Fenger's made that decision early and actually a spinner will have played two games in advance of that. Um, so if you're going to do it, this is probably the best circumstance to do it. He's made the decision early. He's made it public very early. He's giving him two games before. Again, it's it's not what I would do personally, but you know, that's that's one kind of advantage um, from this rotation. Yeah, so then just real quick, staying with you, are you um, excited to see Aubameyang? I mean, it's so weird. Mm. This guy shows up. We're excited. You know, he has a decent start 
to, to life at Arsenal and then maybe a, a bit of a tough outing against Spurs. Um, kind of in a weird trick of the schedule. His, two of his first three games yeah. at Arsenal will be played at Wembley. Um, but, you know, then he goes 15 days where we haven't seen him. And, and it's been so exciting that he arrived and now you almost forget it. I mean, are you, you expect him to start? You excited to see him? And how do you think mm-hmm. the manager will line up around him? Yeah, I definitely expect him to start. Very excited to see him. I think he will be and should be absolutely chomping at the bit. I really hope they've been working, you know, and and I suppose I know, again, they've had these kind of two Europa League games, but you'd like to think in the background, you know, um, in training, Arsenal's been doing a bit of work, you know, perhaps between him and Ozil, establishing that relationship. Um, a little bit more and whoever else is going to play like I don't know say Iwobi starts for example I'd, I'd like to think that Arsene perhaps had both his formation and a good idea of his, his starting team um, in mind before the Ostersons first leg and that he's you know perhaps done some background work if not with the whole 11 at least with little kind of sections of the team and and I think that you know those front players even Mkhitaryan who again you know he's not by quirk of the kind of fixture list, isn't going to be able to play with a. He's going to have like nearly a month's gap before he can play with the Bamiyang again. But obviously, they already have that relationship anyway from Borussia Dortmund. So I'd, I'd like to think that perhaps we've been working on um, things like that. So I, I do think he'll start, um, particularly because Lacazette's not available anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, as for how we'll go around him, um, I. I really, really don't know. I think he might, it will depend because the big question, right, is is it back three or back four? I think he's going to go with the back four again. That seems um, to be what we are now. I mean, he doesn't. Yeah, he didn't change it for for Spurs after we'd played so well in the back three at home. This yeah, Spurs, so why or now? Chelsea. Yep, or Chelsea. He's got that four one four one. Do you expect to see something more like that with Elneny sort of between the I midfield so. and the defense? I think so, yeah. I think he quite likes the idea of Elneny as a kind of hybrid central defender, defensive midfielder uh, kind of type. Um, and particularly when you look at the city, the kind of city players that float around a lot um, and having Elneny, I, I do worry that with Elneny we, we get pushed back quite naturally. But at the same time, I tend to think that might happen anyway. <laughs> yeah. Um, you, and, you know, it's interesting too. Cause, sorry, go ahead, Tim. I was just going to say, I'd kind of rather have Elneny floating around in front of our back four than Xhaka. Um, you know, I, or, you know, I, both of them are going to need to do that, but I'd rather it wasn't just Granite Xhaka on his own. I'd rather, you know, he had it, at least had Elneny alongside him to try and deal with, like, De Bruyne and Silva. Yeah, I mean, we, um, it's, it's interesting because the manager made, made a point to, to say how disappointed he was with how we missed some opportunities to counterattack against Spurs. And he mm. clearly felt those chances were there. So it wouldn't surprise me if he sets up similarly in this game with the hope yeah. that we will just be more clinical with those counterattacking opportunities against City. So, Clive, I want you to do – I've saved the simple stuff for you today. Um, oh, cheers. Just set the difficulty setting right down to beginner for you. And I want you to do something that, that honestly, a talking monkey could. But, you know, in this case – do you think uh, – what, what is the approach to beating City? Just real simple, how do we have to play to beat City? You know, just, just the okay. basics of football. I mean, what do you got to do to beat City? Okay. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. By the way. That was a terrible setup for a joke, but my point is nobody seems to understand how to do this except Rochdale. I'll, I'll give it a go. Who, who just beat City? Not Rochdale. Rochdale yeah. drew Spurs, right? Yeah, yeah, City City got Wigan. beat by Wigan, Wigan didn't Of course, they? yeah. 
so yeah, I mean, with City, it's a. Uh, remember we beat Spurs. I think it was a, the twelve-minute derby, wherever it was, or or the 12, where we scored. Sorry, the twelve-second derby. We scored two goals really, really quickly. With Fabregas went through. <laughs> I yep. think we. I think we're going to have to hold on for the first twelve minutes. Right, that's the key thing. Got to be nil-nil at the start because they're going to react from being beaten by Wigan. For them to lose two cup games in a week is going to be. It's going to change the narrative around them, so they're going to want to, they're going to want to really attack us. And and what City do, they they are very position based as a team. They hold the wide areas, um, they they make sure they fill the pitch, and they their wide men hold their position and they run out to in, and they run on weak shoulders, right? And they've got two number eights that can pass through a needle, right? So they're, it's quite a simple thing. They very they sprint defensively very early. They do the old five-second rule where they try to cut you down within five seconds and they really box you in. And they put you under pressure and they push you back. And so, for me, if you're going to play against them, the first thing you've got to think is, okay, when when we have it, we mustn't be afraid to hold our position because we must be we must be sensible. We must keep wide areas. We must make them think. And one thing Arsenal can do is they can play the ball quite nicely and receive it quite nicely. But it's movement that creates continuity of passing. So we mustn't we must have the energy to defend. But when we have the ball, we must have the energy to have good support line running so we can keep the ball and keep it moving. And that's when you threaten Chelsea. The number, uh, sorry, City. Their number see, I've got eight you on, doing it now. <laughs> <laughs> then their number eight's a beautiful. You see De Bruyne walking. He's lucky he's running downhill when he's going towards you and he's passing. I just, it's just incredible. You've got to get him running backwards. You've got to start stressing him. And the same for David Silva. So that's a difficult thing. It's an easy thing to say, but it's very difficult to do. To do that, you've got to be brave. And you've got to have passing options. And this is why I actually don't want a back four. I want a back three because your wing backs are your outball because they're there already and they're your outball. And then you can drive up the pitch. From my that my counterpoint so, would be against Spurs, what he tried to do, or at least it seemed like what we tried to do is keep Ozil and Mkhitaryan wide and, and use yeah. them as the outball instead of wing backs with the idea, I guess, being that they could then have the class and the quality to receive that that ball and give it to Aubameyang on the sprint. I mean, do you think that there's some merit to that approach? Um, not really, and uh, probably <laughs> they didn't. <laughs> <laughs> and they had their they 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 I call them interior players, Ozil and Mkhitaryan, interior players that can go wide. I want them to be in to out, not out to, to in if you see what I mean and they were forced into areas where I thought they were ineffective and yeah. they were tracking people um, I, I did I didn't watch the Adrian Clark thing before you know till just recently actually and one thing he said and I thought was very clever about Spurs he said that not only did they speed up in the second half but they really compressed the pitch and made it like White Hart Lane and I thought We've got to go to a back three at Wembley. We've got to make the pitch big. Whenever we make it big, we've got a chance. Our technical passers have the extra yard to make that pass. Then you start to get people going back. A 4-3-3 looks great on paper, and we all like it. We get more people in. But we've got to think position, position, position. Can we cover the pitch? Can we stretch them? Do you worry at all that we haven't, we're haven't get killed. Sorry that we haven't been able to make that 3-4-3 three, three work uh, or three four two one work absent Ramsey that the Ramsey Shaka partnership really carried that to success and that if Ramsey can't start on Sunday that really 
that really makes it difficult to to build a midfield that can work with that formation you see everyone a lot of people have that view i must admit i don't well that's because you hate um, ramsey but I, you know i don't i don't <laughs> i think um I, I do see the value of what he does in pushing people back. But for me, when I look when I think about that formation, I think about the wing backs. I think about their ability to be aggressive and to challenge people. I, I often think sometimes that without if we left we go straight down the middle to Aubameyang or into Lacazette, we lack aggressive running in wide areas. And we have no wingers. We have no wingers at the club anymore. So we, we have to get our width from wing backs. So and I don't trust it in a back in a back four because Sane and Sterling will just rip rip that apart into the spaces. They're just they're too fast. So you've got to challenge them in wide areas. And I think by having the extra centre back, by having the um the wing backs higher, I think it's important. But if we get pressed they can come back in. I remember thinking last year to the semi final, I think it was Gabriel's best game. How many strong challenges he make in that right channel against Sane? He was always on the stretch like an auxiliary fullback as a centre back. I think a fit Resikasioni can do that job. So can Monreal on the other side. But when we get it, we must make them work because otherwise it's going to be a long afternoon biting your nails. Yeah, well, I mean, I guess the the question is right. You look at Wigan and they sat in and took the brunt of it, and they had twenty percent possession, and they were outshot twenty eight to four or whatever it was. Um, but they made yeah. their one chance count when Will Grigg ran in behind and and scored. And certainly Aubameyang can do that. But I just, I think sometimes for smaller clubs, it's easier to have the mentality of sitting in. You've done it before. You, you know, you you have an inferiority complex as you naturally should, and so you don't feel that you should go toe to toe with them. And sometimes big players at big clubs have an ego about that sort of thing now in the past we've seen arsenal get pinned back by teams like barcelona and turn in some good performances that way but i still think that we are better off being a little more front-footed a little more off uh pressure off the ball and and not just trying to sit and and take the brunt of their abuse because they just have too many players that can pick a pass too many players that can finish a move i don't forgive me for not trusting our defense to sit for 90 minutes but i just don't tim um i think now that Clive has sort of sussed out how you beat City, and you know, obviously, like I said, simple, oh, but uh, very easy. Very easy. Um, so, so two quick things here. One is what what do you expect generally from the game, and then putting it into context, this is a tough one. I mean, this is a cup <clears throat> that doesn't particularly have a rich history recently for us. I mean, the the furthest we've gotten is the final against Birmingham City, where. You know, obviously we know what happened. It was kind of a heartbreaking moment because it was supposed to be the day we broke the trophy drought, which at that time felt long and then stretched on for a little bit longer. Mm. You know, I, I do struggle with this because there's a part of me that, that knows that if we weren't in it, I wouldn't be watching the cup final on Sunday. I'd probably pick another game to watch. So what do you expect from it and, and how important is it in the context of our season and where we are as a club? Um, I, to be honest, I, I, expect us to lose um i i think uh you know city aren't completely unbeatable i, I think we can worry them um certainly and i i completely agree what you both said about you know we, we've got a strike it's it's a razor thin balance between kind of respecting them and their game and what they can do but taking ours to them um as well which you know which it's a very, very tricky balance to strike. But, you know, we've done it before. We did it in the semi-final last year, although I, I think they're a significantly better team than they were then. Um, we did it against Chelsea last year. And, and maybe it's a good time, um, you know, to play City. They've, they've got 
few injuries. They've you know they've just lost to Wigan. Um, I you know they don't to me they don't look like they they're quite as they're not at the height that they were in say October November. Um, I think Kevin De Bruyne had an interview the other week where he said something like you know in an in an average season you have ten games where you feel good, and uh, I think his words were the rest you just feel like shit. I think he said something like it takes 10 games to get into it then you have 10 games where you feel really good and then for the rest of the season you just feel like shit for us um, I, I would argue so. with the 10 games but sure go ahead <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah that, that's ideally really how it should go as well um, if you do things right so um, you know I'm, I'm not I, I wouldn't I'd be surprised if we won but you know not absolutely like Oh my God! This is such a shock. I mean, they are twenty-seven um, points above us in the table, so it's you know it's not like we should expect to beat them. No, no. But but I, you no. know, given how we performed in the semi-final against them at Wembley last season, we've certainly proven it can be done. Yeah, yeah, precisely. Um, as as for your second question, how I mean, for me, it's it's super important. I I, I love the cups. I love the league cup. Um, always have. Always will. I understand where modern football is, and that's absolutely fine. I understand the choices that managers have to make. That's absolutely fine. I don't have to make those choices, so I don't. Um, it's as simple as that. So to, to me, it's hugely important. But, you know, I understand that when you ask the question, what does it mean for the club and where their position is, um, you know, then I have to shift back and kind of say, you know, in terms of modern football, um, you know, it doesn't... I, I wrote an article about this. I, th I think like six of the last eight League Cup winning managers have been sacked within 12 months of winning it. So that that tells you what kind of club owners think. Well, that's not going to happen at Arsenal. So, so no, no, that's not to worry about that. But and, um, it's, it's not going to happen to either sorry. manager, actually. Yeah, fair enough. It's not going to happen to either manager, actually. Um, but yeah, it's, you know, it, look, I, I, I think sometimes we worry too much about. What, what does this all mean? Where does this put us? Because like there's such a hierarchy, a really firmly entrenched hierarchy um, in world football uh, now. And I, I, I was having this kind of discussion, just gone a bit of a tangent today about Mesut Ozil. And someone was saying, oh, you know, he gets like the sniffles and, you know, quite a lot, which he does. And, you know, he doesn't always do it in big games, which I think is true. And, and I was, and you know, I was kind of saying, those things are true and that's that's kind of why he's at Arsenal um and I kind of accept that I accept that like we have to buy some slightly broken eggs because that's where we are um and basically if Pay, paying 350,000 a week for broken eggs isn't necessarily <laughs> the best budgeting but you know I take your point <laughs> but, but but you know as it was like our our best broken yes, of, egg, of course um, yeah. as it were and we we've always had to do that to a degree like with the likes of Bergkamp and Overmars and Carnu and Omri and Vieira they all you know they, they were all a bit broken when we bought them but I mean just look the fact is that if Ozil um started you know played 90 minutes of every single game every season and scored like and got a hat-trick of assists in the big games he wouldn't be our player anymore so I'm kind of like a bit relaxed about some of his uh you know flaws flaws I use as a relative term at like the elite level and because like football has become so firmly like you know there's so many there's glass ceilings all over the place basically um and uh, 
to me, that's even more of a reason to value something like a cup win or a cup final, particularly for a club like Arsenal, who are just outside that elite bracket. Um, I think that's even more um, reason to just cherish a final for what it is, which is like, uh, you know, it's a really kind of nice day out. And if you win it, it's it, like the feeling for like a week or two is just brilliant. Um, and then, you know, it probably doesn't linger on much longer than that. Like the the shelf life of a cup win, because it's a cup final, I think the feeling is more euphoric than winning the league. But it's, you know, it's kind of like winning the cup is like doing cocaine and winning the league is like doing ecstasy. You know, one's like a hard a hard hit that fades quite quickly. And then the other ones, you know, a bit a bit more like a bit longer and a bit more meaningful. Um, I, the only thing I'd take there, issue with there, people... I'd say winning the, 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 the cup is more like taking a, a handful of ketamine and jamming them up your ass while you're like <laughs> funneling like a bottle of, uh, of vodka with strippers. You know what? Never mind. Your analogy was I mean, fine. I've, Your analogy I've, is fine. I, I, <laughs> I've, uh, I've, I've, I've not tried that yet. Um, <laughs> maybe if we went on Sunday. Um, but do you know what I mean? Like a, a cup final win is much more euphoric, but it doesn't last as long. And, and that's and that's kind of fine. I don't think we have to worry too much about what does winning the League Cup mean for Arsenal? Because to be honest, it doesn't mean an awful lot beyond the day itself. Yes, and, I get your point. Yeah. You know, whatever else it means. So, you know, like it, it's not going to make if we win it, people will feel great for a day or two. It's, I don't think it's going to make anyone feel like, you know, we've we've cracked the elite or anything like that. But you know that that's really really hard to do and whisper it quietly we probably can't do it so you know fuck it let's just like try and enjoy it and ultimately if we lose we're the underdogs we haven't got a, like a massive rivalry with man city it's not like losing to spurs or chelsea or something in the final so you know i'm 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 relatively relaxed about it prepared to enjoy it for what it is we haven't got, it's not like the last League Cup final where I was super nervous because we were the favourites and we had this trophy drought. We don't have that trophy drought thing hanging over us. It's not life or death. So, yeah, uh, yeah I'm, I'm, I'm hugely looking forward to it, even though I'm, I'm expecting the worst. Yeah, very well said. And th- that's been Tim's Pharmaceutical Corner. So we'll, re- we'll return to that at some point. <laughs> no, look, I, I think you make a great point. I, I am of the belief that... Um, Domestic cup performances are orthogonal to club direction, if that makes sense. That you can celebrate domestic cup performances, that you can be thrilled by a cup win, that you can be thrilled by a cup final victory, that you can have the euphoria from it, and still feel that a club is headed in the wrong trajectory, that it is not achieving its goals overall. I'm sure Wigan fans would tell you that winning the FA Cup is the greatest moment of their football-supporting lives or recent memory, Mm. but... They subsequently suffered two relegations. Were they headed in the right direction when they won the FA Cup? Decidedly not. Um, so I, I think that you know they're orthogonal in that way, in the sense that you can, mm. to your point, celebrate the cups, enjoy the cups, have that euphoric feeling, especially because it is a culminating moment. Whereas league games, you know, three points is fantastic, but it doesn't culminate in anything. Um, yeah, yeah. But the league and and Europe, to some extent, are more indicative of the direction the club is heading. And I think you can evaluate mm. those two things independently. Um, I, I learned the word orthogonal recently, so I wanted to try to use it. And I hope I used it properly. <laughs> uh, in any event, Clive, I'll, I'll give you a final word on this, and then I want to get into uh, some Tempest and teacups, because what, what better place to put a Tempest than a teacup? Someone will have to explain to me oh, where that came about. In any event, um, your thoughts on... 
what it all means, how excited you are for it, how much you care about it, how excited you would be to win it. I mean, I think we all have to agree that the caliber of the opposition certainly matters, that if it was a League Cup final against Hull City, <laughs> you know, not that we always make that easy, um, we we might not feel the same, but certainly beating the mighty Manchester City would give it a feeling of greater import. I mean, where, where do you stand on what this means for us? Yeah, I think um, I'm still reading on, on Tim's point about Ozil, actually. I think it's so right. If Ozil was the player we all hoped he'd be, he probably wouldn't be with us. And it's like, a, that's really, uh, really a thoughtful point. And it makes me think about where we where we actually are. It really crystallizes it well. But then Arsenal's always been a surprising club. And before the semi-final against Chelsea, we didn't think we had two professional leg performances like we showed and I just couldn't see that coming and and they just did it in the semi-final last year we weren't sure what was coming I thought we were very dashing and we took them apart and and we had we hung on a little bit but when we had then we slowly wore them down and then we then we picked their pockets and won the game right and we towards the end of the game we were way stronger than them um and then Chelsea, we all know what happened against Chelsea. The trick with these games and the trick with this trophy, just to stay in it, just to stay in it. It means something to me, I must admit. Um, I am not one of these people that buys the hype about any team, really. Mm-hmm. Um, I just think every team has their period. They have their moments when they're hot. You know, A few weeks ago, we were talking about Man City being invincible, and then uh, a few weeks later, they'll lose to Wigan Monday night on national TV. It, it's, it's, it's just the way it goes, football. It just goes in cycles, and all you have to do is look after yourself. And so I'm not buying the hype with them. I think they'll be deserved champions. Let's see what happens in the other competitions. Mm-hmm. So the, the League Cup for me, well, funny enough, when I think of it and us winning it, I think of the manager, actually. He's won all the other domestic trophies, but he hasn't won this one. And I would like him to get it, right? So I think about him. I'd like him to get a European trophy before he leaves us as well. I think it'd be a, a wonderful send-off, he says, you know, wistfully. But I would like him to get a full set of trophies, you know, a, a European trophy and all the domestic trophies. Yeah, he's not I getting think, big ears, he but that's another story. <laughs> yeah, he des- he, I think he deserves it, right? Big Whatever ears? we all say he's about him. He's not getting that one, right? He deserved that too, right? But he just messed up in the final. And, uh, and so basically, I would like to see him get that, what he deserves, in my opinion, which is a, a full set of domestic trophies. Yeah. For 21 years, 21 years plus, I think that'd be a good thing. I mean, look, if, if Theo can get a toaster, you know, <laughs> can't we get Arsenal League Cup, for fuck's sake? Um, all right, so... Up the, up the arsenal and all that crap. Uh, it's cut final on Sunday. Enjoy it. Now on to the really important stuff. Tim, how outraged were you when Hector Bellerin, in measured and thoughtful way, delivered the most benign criticism of all time to <laughs> Arsenal fan TV? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's really something of nothing, wasn't it? And um, I think what was notable was that, uh, you know, Robbie, who, who, you know, Arsenal fan TV is his and his only it's, it's like all his work well there, there are a couple of guys behind the scenes as well but like he's built this up from the ground right and i don't know if you saw his response to it which um was incredibly philosophical incredibly like understanding and you know he's entitled to his opinion and blah 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 and um it, you know and it's just quite notable that he's the one who probably had quote unquote the most right to feel a bit 
put out by, as you say, some really tame comments. But um, you know, the 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 individuals who are trying to get trying to become notorious, shall we say, off the back of his product, are the ones who are who are most offended. And that's usually the way in life, isn't it? That the people who shout the loudest um, are always the first to lift their skirts over their heads when they get anything back. But I, I think um, it's well worth watching all of that that Bellerin Q and A because. I think he comes across really well on so many subjects, um, actually. Uh, and, you know, for, for a guy of 22, you know, speaking in second, maybe even third language, I, I assume he's fluent in Catalan. Um, and, you know, for a guy who made a decision to come to England when he was 16, he was, at, you know, his hometown club, club like Barcelona, must have been very difficult for him to give up, but he decided to come over. He learned the language, um, you know, to the point that he speaks like a native, which um, is absolutely incredible for someone who learns a language that late in life. Usually, like, you you pick up a dialect if you learn it as a child, not as a teenager. Um, so, you know, this, this is... So that tells me he's got a natural flair for it, by the way, because that doesn't happen to everybody. Um, and that tells me he's a really smart guy and that's what I really got out of this and he's obviously like very confident and very comfortable in himself which is a big quality it's a big quality for an elite sportsman to have as well you know I I think we underestimate how how much psychological pressure there is on elite sportsmen Um, and I saw someone you know there was just someone sent a tweet that they were kind of prevaricating saying like Oh, you know, very like all this whataboutery, like, oh, I think he said it because of this, because he's under pressure and he wants to get. And someone just responded to him and just said, you wouldn't last two minutes in this in his world. He's 22 and he's in what his fourth, third, fourth season playing regularly in a team like Arsenal in front of 60,000 pretty demanding and fairly consistently unhappy And where your psyche is regularly destroyed like (laughs) every other week or so. Yeah, 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 exactly. And and what, you know, we've spoken a lot about the criticism of his performances this season, which I don't think any of us really quite understand. Not remotely. And And I think something we've all spoken about as well is his kind of personality um, in difficult moments. And, you know, you look at, I, I think we spoke about it at length in response to his kind of last minute equaliser against Chelsea where, you know, it's the 93rd minute with two, one down against the London rival. And he, you know, really can't not and he's not a forward, um, but he really calmly like strokes the ball in the net from 20 yards. And it's easy to overplay these things, but I think it's easy to underplay them as well. Like the pressure of that moment. And not only was he forward, was he assertive, asserting his game on the situation he was then calm in the right moment. And that's that's an unbelievably difficult balance to strike between being assertive enough to go, no, I don't believe we're beaten yet. I'm getting forward. And then when that moment comes, not thrashing at it, and particularly for a young man like that. And he's just someone I look at. And every time he plays, I think, you know, and it's not to say he does everything right. Obviously, you know, he's still young. He still makes like the odd error and stuff like that. But it's really difficult to explain, but he looks like a foot taller than he actually is. He mm. just looks to me like someone who gets on that football pitch and is like, yeah, this is my job. This is what I've chosen. It, it, it reminds me of a quote Bob Wilson um, 
came out with in some interview or other where Bob Wilson, you know, he's renowned for his bravery as a goalkeeper. And he was saying, in the tunnel, I was the most nervous footballer you've ever seen. But he said, as soon as, and you know, the tunnel in his day was very, very small and cramped to Highbury. He said, as soon as I saw the pitch and I heard the fans, he said, I thought to myself, no, this is what you've chosen to do with your life. You're incredibly lucky to do it go out there and show that you belong here and I, I really see that in Bellerin I really see a guy whose shoulders are back you know his head's up who keeps going forward who keeps trying to play his game and ultimately you know it's it's going to break my heart this is why Pep Guardiola loves him and is going I think to keep on whichever club he's at he's going to keep on casing Bellerin I think because I think he sees a guy who's just who's absolutely assertive at all times about how he wants to play in all situations. And these, these are the guys that, you know, Guardiola really loves. And I, I think, unfortunately, I, I think that's, um, that's a love affair that probably won't go away. And, and one day we might not have Hector Bellerin anymore. And I, I think we'll all, uh, we'll all see um, if, and when that happens, we'll all see what, what, what a special player he is and what a, what a, a special kind of young man he is because I, I think he's hugely impressive um, on and off the pitch. And, you know, I honestly think that a lot, not all, but a lot of this is just that he's grown his hair a bit long <laughs> and he wears clothes that like quite a lot of middle-aged men get grumpy about. And I think a lot of it's like, oh, he's disappeared up his own ass and stuff. I don't see that. I just see like a, a confident young man who doesn't doesn't give a fuck what you think um, about what he wears and more power to his elbow for that. Yeah, and I, I think we as fans, and I, when I say we, I, I, I include myself and don't include myself. I think there are some are worse than others, but have a sense that you can say or do whatever you like because you're a fan and you can do no wrong as a fan and that, yeah, yeah. that the players must respect that at all moments. And yet, Clive... Here we have fans making fake audio recordings saying that it's Bellerin, supposedly having some bullshit phone conversation saying he wants out of the club or something like that, which, oh, by the way, these conversations probably happen on the phone and wouldn't change my opinion of anyone because players' contracts and, and employment situations are fluid. But is there a point where we have to stop? And, and it extends to everything. I mean, Wigan uh, beat City and they, you know, they rush onto the pitch. And they get in Sergio Aguero's face and supposedly verbally abuse him and spit at him. And then everybody wants him banned for punching the guy back. I mean, is there a point at, at which we have to stop and say, you know what? This is big business. This is big entertainment. You wouldn't feel like you could rush the red carpet at the Oscars because you liked three billboards or whatever. I mean, do fans have to take a look at themselves and realize that, you know, maybe it used to be that after the game, you'd go to the boozer and have a, have a pint with your favorite player, but that's not modern football. And whether you love or hate modern football, you have to accept that your role in this is now, look, for better and worse, and certainly for better in some ways. You know, the, the hooliganism is, is mostly gone, and some, some of the, the toxic stuff around football is mostly gone, but for better or worse, you are a paying customer, and you have to adhere to certain rules and, and responsibilities. Yeah, well, it's for me, it's about two words, right? It's about standards and, and perspective. I think sometimes we we hold our heroes on the pitch, we hold them to higher standards than we hold ourselves. And we need to look at that. We need to get perspective again. Just because they are paid footballers for Arsenal Football Club, it doesn't give you free right to abuse people. You have to look at your own self and how you're 
behaving? Have you got perspective as a football watching fan? Now, I can't let everybody, I can't make everybody follow my perspective or your perspective or Tim's perspective on football. We're three guys talking on a podcast in the evening. Some people think we're crazy to do that. Three very important guys talking on a very important <laughs> podcast. But yeah, okay, go ahead. <laughs> but some people think we're crazy to do that. Have you got perspective? This is our perspective. This is our journey. And we got and I must re- I respect everybody's football journey. However, what I always hope for is that how we how we treat our heroes and how we treat each other. And I think we're losing that. And some people are maybe losing perspective based on their own perceived levels of commitment. And I think that they feel that gives them a, a right to do certain things. And I think we've got... That's so huge... well said, by the way. I, I, I just want to stop you because, yeah, the guy who's, whose Twitter handle is Ozalicious thinks that gives him the right to call Thierry Henry a cunt because he was critical of the club on Sky Sports. I mean, it's just ridiculous. Yeah, it's just not quite right. You know, we... We hold politicians to a high standard. We hold we hold sportsmen to a high standard, and we hold young men. We're holding a twenty-two-year-old kid. Well, I don't want to tell you what I was doing at twenty-two, and it wasn't. <laughs> was it anything like uh, what Tim was talking about earlier? Because <laughs> this sounds tremendously fun. <laughs> One, one podcast, if I have too many Cronenbergs, I will tell you what I was doing at 22. <laughs> and, and, um, and, um, and, and, and I'll tell you now, it wasn't playing in front of um, you know 60,000 people being shouted at if you get the last ball wrong after a 60-yard sprint. Right, because that's the life he has to lead, and and, and for which he's handsomely compensated. Mistakes. I mean, let, let's not totally uh, flip it absolutely. around. These guys, these guys are absolutely. paid to handle that, to shoulder that responsibility and that attention. Uh, they they are paid to perform, and we can hope they can shoulder the responsibility that their upbringing as a footballer, how they've been built physically, technically, and mentally, allows them to sustain a level of performance and consistency on the football pitch. And when they do. They get rewarded. They get contracts. They get. He got a six-year contract, the longest contract, also given out for many years, and he's well paid. And I tell you what, if he keeps if he keeps performing, we should be looking at that contract again at the end of the season. And I know when we look at our comments for this podcast, we're going to get some stick for this because not a lot of people understand what we have. And I absolutely agree with every word that Tim said. I think we have to recognise what sort of individual we have or what he could be. And we and this is he's twenty two. When he's twenty five, what could he be? What could he be as a right back around the rest of Europe? I've said this before. Carl Walker's twenty eight, and he's still letting in goals at critical moments, letting the ball run under his foot in the FA Cup game and not getting back correctly. Yet he's a fifty million pound right back, and he's England's number one right back. Hector Bellerin is 22, and um, again, I think he's got such development time. The things that have happened to him, I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm really not interested, if I'm, if I'm brutally honest. Um, I, I think um, Arsenal Fan TV, it drives, it drives so much division, and more than you realise, a lot of people are quite quiet on it, and, and some people are hugely supportive. I happened to class Robbie as a personal friend since I was 18, and I would never, ever say anything negative towards him. He's a, he's a top guy. The whole thing has taken off in a way that not, I, I, I never suspected. But I, I don't link this to Arsenal Fan TV. I link this to fandom. I link this to society and how we treat our heroes and how we hold other people to higher accounts than we hold ourselves. Yeah. I do care about how we engage towards each other as Arsenal fans I I won't be 
I won't be arguing with many fans online. I really try not to. I think you can only set your own example and try to hold your own standards. And and then hopefully that will start to get on a lot better. And, you know, as a, as a fan group, that's what I care about the most. Yeah, no, well said. And by the way, I mentioned the Twitter account, Ozalicious. I'm sure that exists. If there is one <laughs> and that person is listing, I was making it up as as an example, not you specifically, uh, if, if you exist. Um, I want to unpack what you said just a little bit and, and put my spin on this. So if people want to hit the fast forward button, now would be the time to do it. Um, so first things first, I think that it is important to distinguish between fans giving their opinion in earnest and fans who are trying to gain celebrity by virtue of supporting Arsenal. And and look, we're recording a podcast and we're putting it in the public sphere. In my opinion, by virtue of publishing this and wanting other people to listen to it, we not only invite people to listen, we invite people to criticize, to critique, mm. to have an opinion on it. I, I would hope, because if they don't have an opinion on it, that means that what we're creating has no meaning or influence on anyone. You look at someone like Howard Stern, and they used to say that the biggest, the, the listeners who would listen to Howard Stern the longest were the people who hated him the most and wanted to be outraged by him. And I definitely think for Arsenal Fan TV, for better or for worse, some of the, the biggest view, viewers of it and listeners of it and, and um, uh, consumers of it are fans of other clubs, right, that, that want to watch it for the banter, so to speak. And you look at some of the regulars that are on there, and they have created a celebrity status for themselves. And then they want to pound their chest and say that they are super fans, when in fact, what they care most about is the celebrity status. The celebrity status is clearly more important to them than supporting an Arsenal. And by the way, that's totally fine. You have every right to want to become a celebrity, to want to become a YouTube celebrity or an Arsenal fan TV celebrity. Why would I tell you you can't do that? What I would say is to then be precious about getting a reaction when what you've tried to achieve as celebrity is sort of the opposite. You are trying to be the car crash and then you're upset when people want to stare at it. And it just doesn't make a lot of sense to me. And Tim, you said something very interesting and I'll leave it for you to say because you know the facts and I do not. You know, the one area where I was tempted to sort of come to their defense is to say, well, these are hardcore fans who follow Arsenal home and away. And, you know, so they do have a bit more of a right to throw their toys out of the pram than someone who maybe doesn't make that sacrifice. But the point you made to me is that they actually have only become that since gaining this notoriety. Is that correct? There are there are uh, there is an, an individual or two for whom that is correct. Yeah, I I think basically what. The, the, the idea we've got to bridge here is that fans as a critical mass are incredibly important, um, uh, an absolute lifeblood of the club. Um, and, you know, that, yeah, so, so fans as a critical mass are incredibly important. The individual fan is not, um, okay? So if I yeah. stop going or if I don't go to a game or you don't go to a game or someone else doesn't go to it guess what nobody cares it makes no fucking difference to anybody whatsoever i've boycotted um, this entire season haven't gone to a single game and no <laughs> one said boo about it i you know i didn't go to Osterson's last week um get guess you know nobody cared nobody should care it was completely inconsequential to every single person except me um and no you know it's not like the ticket wasn't sold um, someone else went, and I'm sure they had a great time and were freezing cold. It made no, it had no impact on the team. It had no impact on anyone. So you know, when people turn around and say, oh, "I paid this and I did that," and I, it's like, well, yeah, 
you did, but you don't have to. Um, and I think and you did it for yourself. Well, let's be clear, yeah, Tim. Yeah, you yeah. go to Arsenal yeah. and support Arsenal because you love supporting <laughs> Arsenal, right? You don't do it for Arsenal, right? It's not like no. Exactly. This is not a charitable act on your part. You do it because it no. gives you personal satisfaction. In fact, all of us, all of us doing this pod right now, right? We don't do this for compensation. We do it because we enjoy having no. the chat. So to then turn around and be like, "I did all of that," well, you wanted to. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. That that's precisely it. I I don't. I realized a long time ago I, I don't go, you know, to support the boys because I, I recognize it makes no difference to them whether I'm there or not, whether, you know, what I do when I'm there. It, it's like it's all a bit inconsequential to anyone but me, really. But at the same time, yeah, you're right. I, I go because I enjoy it. I go because I re- and, you know, when people say to me at work, like, I don't know when we've lost or something, they'll be like, oh, I, I bet you wish you hadn't gone. And I'll, I'll be like, no, I had a great time. I was fine. I'd, yeah, I did you have a drink and a chat and you, and you sing yeah. and, and you, yeah, it's a blast. And by the way, I mean, this is the point like when people on our, on Twitter are like, oh, can't you just get behind the lads? And I'm like, well, first of all, they wouldn't know if I was or not because I'm fucking in my living room. But secondly... We all create the Arsenal supporting experience that we enjoy. For me, I enjoy analysis. I enjoy moaning occasionally, being a little cynical, having a little fun. I mean, telling the odd, you know, dark humor joke. That's kind of how I like to do it. If that's not your taste, you certainly don't have to follow me, listen to me, you know, or be around me. But we create the Arsenal supporting experience that's enjoyable for us. And. Do you know what? Like, uh, and I think there's there's also like a little bit too much emphasis about you know what's said on Twitter. It it it's all like it's all inconsequential noise basically. Someone might uh, someone not not incorrectly, uh, you know, kind of pulled me up the other day for you know because I'd said for ages that oh Ozil's just stringing us along. He's not going to sign. It's all for the brand and all of that. And I I got that totally wrong, and that's you know, and you know what? That's absolutely fine. Until we find out there's a release clause, and he's getting sold in the summer. <laughs> but sure, yeah, apologize now. But yeah, no, and, yeah. and and like I, I'm not, you know, but my issue there isn't that someone pulled me up on it. That's absolutely fine. I was wrong. Delighted, I was wrong, and I was wrong. But you know, they were like, you know, kind of being a bit sniffy about yeah, it. Delete like, your oh, account. You, yeah. you know, you were speculating. It's like, yeah, of course I was speculating. And I was wrong. And guess what difference it made? None. It made absolutely none to anybody. Because he signed, and it's as simple as that. So if that shows you anything, that me kind of, you know, having a bit of a snipe, it, it meant absolutely fuck all because he still signed the contract. All that happened was that I was wrong. Yeah, fine. It's not like it's it's not it's not the end of the world. It will happen again. It's happened many times before. It happens to every and you know, like I think people kind of think particularly on social media that they put like too much and you know, like you said there, that kind of let's support the lads kind of it's like well the lads aren't on fucking twitter do you know what i mean like most of them don't even have the passwords to their accounts anyway no, it's run by their and, social media manager as we yeah, know who, who was that famous that famous uh footballer who, who like gunduan who had like the wrong yeah, yeah. Uh, the wrong account post or something? because because it, it was yeah meant to be for Ozil or something yeah yeah exactly and e- even if you were to assume that they were running their own accounts which uh, you know i think some of them have some involvement in that that it's not like they're sitting on it like like 24 7 and you know like obviously we should always call out abuse and stuff like that and people just being twats and being unreasonable but you know like saying oh so and so was a bit crap today or i think we should sell this but it's totally inconsequential um it's just noise it doesn't really make any difference to anything no and i think people are just maybe getting a bit 
we're all getting a bit full of our self-importance because now what we all yeah. effectively have is we have our own social media platforms, which are effectively like that's our way of like editing our image of ourselves and projecting it to the world. And, and I, I think we're all perhaps, um, and I'm certainly not immune to this whatsoever, like just getting a bit big for our boots, really. Yeah, and look. About, pers- about perspective, got- isn't it? It's the second yeah, word. Yeah. It's about perspective. And every now and again, I'm not, I'm, I'm not immune to it either. He's, you can lose perspective, you know. If you catch me at the wrong time, I've had a drink after we lose to Chelsea, then I'm, I might be a little bit more upset about something I've read, right? So, um, but it's your account. You it's your it's your podcast. I mean, this is the thing I think is funny: is people who feel that you know, I've I've had people accuse me of outcomes in the transfer market, or you know, things like that, because like you were part of the agenda to get him to leave the club or something. Is it? And it just people forget that. The reason we tweet the things we do or say the things we do on a podcast or write the things we do on a blog is because we enjoy sharing our opinion. We're, you know, we're mm. we're not doing it to cultivate some kind of movement. <laughs> yeah, I think... Sorry, Clive, I cut I you off there. Go ahead. No, that's cool. I think perspective is a key word, right? And um, if you... I, for me, it's very important to keep that balance. It, it really is. And, and people should try to keep their own balance. I think we can work harder at that. I think we'll see more of the game, more of each other, more of what's around, and we won't become so singly obsessed with minutiae events. You know, I think there's so much to see and learn if you get your head up and have a look and keep perspective. And you know, I've I've been through a football journey, and I've I've, I've been through many many games, and I've, games have really upset me and really stayed with me. And I've had to take a step back and then go back and look again because I felt I was losing perspective and what. And what the club meant to me, and it's meant to be something that enriches your life. It shouldn't take away from your life too much, right? So, um, and and the the podcasting angle to me, and I agree with you, Elliot, is the way to look at the game, the coaching side of the game, the youth development side of the game, and then eventually, you know, sprinkling that with watching Arsenal and different levels of football and different sports all goes to make my Arsenal watching experience a bit better right? And the, but that's my journey I don't expect everyone else to copy it but hopefully one thing hopefully we can copy just try to keep perspective because if we lose it we're not doing anyone any favours well said yeah and, and I mean you know it's important to remember that when you see someone's avi pop up on your Twitter timeline there's a person there it's not you know it's not a, a company it's a person just saying what they think. Sometimes it's totally uninformed and stupid in my case and Clive and Tim's case. You know, it's usually erudite and well thought out. But like, you know, it's just people telling you what's on their mind. I mean, <laughs> that's what this social media thing is. If I was sitting next to you on the couch and made an observation about the game and it was stupid, you'd be like, no, dude, you're wrong. You know, you wouldn't <laughs> be like, you have an agenda to destroy Olivier Giroud's career at Austin. You know what I mean? So... Look, I, I was planning on us maybe getting to some overarching stuff about the season. I think since we've tipped the hour mark and um, and uh, we don't really have anything pressing to get to, maybe it's best to leave it there. Look, I, I think the one thing that should probably be said is none of us here are advocating for the kind of abuse and the kind of things that, that do go on. You know, racist abuse obviously mm-hmm. is a scourge and something that has to be eliminated and death threats and things like that. Um it's just an unfortunate part of society, but I don't think this is an arsenal issue. I think it is a people issue. Um, and I think you would find at any club, in any sport, in any yeah. area of social media that, that that happens. So it is what it is. In any event, unless you guys feel a pressing need to stretch this beyond the hour mark, I think this is a pretty good stopping point. Yep, yeah, agreed. Clive, that worked for you? 
I'm I'm cool with that, mate. We don't want to use up all our good material on this podcast. We have uh, we have a cup final coming up. So here's the way I think this is going to happen. Um, because we've essentially admitted that we don't think the Ostersoons game is that important, barring something obscene happening, there will not be a podcast following that. Uh, this will serve as that podcast, and we will then do one following the cup final. Um, chance to see Obama Yang again, so that's exciting. Chance to beat Manchester City, the best team in England, and and hoist another cup, and uh, you know all good things leading into our return to Premier League action sometime seven months from now. I think it is kind of hashtag banter, by the way, that like we're not doing well in the Premier League, so we've just stopped playing in that competition. Um, in any event, Tim's on Twitter at Stoberto. Thanks, Tim. My pleasure. Clive is on Twitter at Clive PAFC. Clive, as always, a pleasure. Thank you very much. Yeah, unfortunately, uh, Paul couldn't make it today, but we certainly hope to have him back after the Cup Final. In any event, give us a five-star rating. Uh, If you want to write nasty things about us on Twitter or in the review, that's totally fine. We acknowledge that that's all a part of it. Uh, If you want to write nasty things about Hector Bellerin, you know, you do you. That's how this works. In any event, uh, we will talk to you after the very unlikely Arsenal 10 City Note.